Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is a very special one. His name is Dave uh, Jackson, or David Jackson, the CEO at the customer.co and interim currently at Chief Customer Officer at Deep Crawl. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for the invitation, Mike. Pleasure to, to have you here. So for, for the ones who didn't have the pleasure to, to, to share experiences with you and, and to talk to you, uh, who is uh, Dave? Who's Dave? Um, well, I guess there's a couple of Daves. One is um, family man, big kids, <laughs> five grandkids, um, well, enjoys then. a little bit of watercolor painting, spending time with family, food, drink and wine. Um, the work, Dave, is... Um, I am as old as I look. Um, <laughs> you, you mean 30s, 40s, right? <laughs> well, in my head, definitely, Mike. In my head, even yeah. younger. <laughs> ah, got it. Ah. I've done all sorts of things in my life. I've been in education. I've been in management development. I've been in consulting. Um, but I guess the experience that's most relevant to, to your audience is that in 2000, I started what was probably one of the UK's first pure play SaaS companies, mm-hmm. uh, a company called Quick Tools. Uh, we formed in August 2000. Uh, we were in the surveys and forms business after a bit of a pivot. Um, and I grew that as um, organically as chief exec with uh, three co-founders and led it through two liquidity events. So in 2010, we sold 49.9% to SurveyMonkey. And then in 2014, did uh, an arranged deal and sold 100% to a company called Calidus Cloud, which is now part of SAP. And ever since then, I've been doing advisory work with B2B SaaS companies, uh, investors, private equity, that type of thing. And my passion is in all of that, and the thing that I think is, is key to SaaS is how to build an organization that delivers great value to customers in a way that is truly recognized and measurable and then converts that into revenue for your company. Absolutely. That is really, really important. And we, we always discuss here in the show the three critical ingredients to scale, so radical focus, world-class yep. leadership, and uh, the execution operating system. Uh, starting with that radical focus, I, I like to challenge uh, teams and leadership teams and CEOs to really have uh, the focus on specific niches until they approach the, the total addressable market. So we, yes. we can't go to all niches at the same time to, to conquer the big market. We need to prioritize niche after niche. Uh, kind of the, the riches are in the niches kind of the mindset. So you are obsessed about the the customer. Can you uh, explain a little bit more how how you bring focus to the to the to the company on serving the customer? Um, yeah, I think it's it's really odd, Mike, because I think my experience is I want to talk to other other founders and, and chief execs. Um, founder starts, as, and by the way, my field is B two B SaaS. You know, I don't I don't work much outside that field. Exactly. But, if you talk to those people and, and say, well, why did you start the company in the first place? And typically you'll find that one of the core reasons is, well, we found this problem that people had and we 
found what we thought was a, a new way to address it. So they started the company and the company was founded on the basis of we've identified a group of customers and we've identified what a new way of success looks like for them. So the starting point for many companies, founding many companies is in a way customer success. It, it's focused on the customer. Exactly. And I think um, what I learned in my time and when I started Click Tools, I brought with me a passion for customers which had been you know, long held. And I think sometimes we overcomplicate it. So if you talk about focus, you talk about you know an operating system. I think all a B2B SaaS company does is it figures out how through a, a product it can deliver value to customers. So it figures out what you know what that value looks like, what those customers look like. And once it's got a handle on that, and it's never a constant thing, it does change. But then all you do effectively is you say, right, that's the value, that's the red thread that runs through our company. So all the B2B SaaS company does is it understands that value, then markets that value, it sells that value, the product delivers that value, and customer success, professional services, whatever you want to call it, enables that value. And that, that, to me, that's that focus. And that focus is that single red thread of value right through the company. It's the basis on which you build the pipeline. It's the basis on which you assess what products, what features you should be putting into your product. So that's, you know, that's, I think, how you can drive some of that focus on the customer. And by the way, it's, 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 it's chosen customers. It's not just anybody that comes along. Mm -hmm. You've got to be very clear about who you do and do not serve. Exactly. So what is the framework that you typically use to, to find those niches? So we talked here a lot about the, the vertical, the geography, and the, the size, sometimes even the use case. Mm -hmm. uh, a fourth variable. Do you have any other kind of framework or any other tips to define that niche and to help to drive that focus on a specific uh, kind of Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think geography used to be a case, but I think the way that the internet's developed now, um, a B2B SaaS company can be global from day one, and that's probably not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's less about geography. If you're building an industry, a vertical application, then obviously that's going to give you a, a, an industry focus. If you're building a horizontal application, then I think you know, going by industry is not the right thing. So if I go back to our experience at Click Tools, at the time, our largest customer was the Economist Intelligence Unit. They, part of their business is around researching topics um, for, for thought leadership pieces. So you know, a large company come along, give them a large amount of money and say, we'd like a thought leadership piece around this area. And part of the work that EIU did, did would survey its customer base. And we used to um, be the platform that they used for their surveys. And they were, as I say, our biggest customer. This was back about probably 2002, 2003. And it's the time that Salesforce was starting to get some traction. Um, we had people using our platform to do customer surveys um, and the EIU came along one day and said, okay, we, we want to go down this path. We want to be able to offer our customers the ability to see what surveys they've completed, what other ones are available, to download the research reports that they've been involved in and things like that. So effectively a portal. Um, and I think we took a decision. I, I remember sitting in meeting rooms agonizing about this decision because that was an area to, to you know, it was a focus. It was our biggest customer. It was a, a known revenue stream. But there was this other potential over here called integration with Salesforce. 
Um, and we went down that path and we threw everything we had into great building a great integration with Salesforce. And that became our biggest route to market. So our focus was effectively defining our customers in a way that said, our customers are typically CRM customers. And in the first place, they were Salesforce customers. We added integration with Microsoft Dynamics and Sugar CRM and others later in the field. But 85% of our business were came through the Salesforce ecosystem. So we were Europe's first, sorry, we were Salesforce's first European software partner back in 2004, I think we launched the integration. So I think sometimes you've got to think about focus in a novel way, in a way which, you know, probably also gives you some form of differentiation. And at the time mm -hmm. we were the only app, the only survey and feedback app that was integrated with Salesforce. Interesting. That's a very good point and a different way of seeing uh, really the segmentation and, uh, and how to drive focus. Uh, I've, I've seen that as well, working quite well with, uh, with some sales companies that I've worked with, namely with, uh, with Talkdesk and even in the case of uh, Anbabel, for instance. Um, super, super interesting. And in terms of the moving to the ingredient number two, world-class leadership. So there is a lot of discussion about how to structure uh, customer success units. And there are people that are just calling them customer then because we have different frameworks uh, behind customer success. It might be, again, customer success, support, professional services, uh, sometimes even uh, learning platforms that are now being uh, led by by customer success so how would you structure uh, a team of customer success um i don't think i'd start with thinking about how i would structure the team mm -hmm. uh, i think it's a mistake that lots of people make that that uh, they're going to jump into this this thing about structure and ownership and and organization um there's a great book that probably many of your readers have read, if not they should, called Subscribed by Chen Zhu, uh, who's the chief executive of Zwora. Uh, I think he's one of the, about the first 10 or 12 employees at Salesforce. Um, and then wanted to, to form this, uh, um, this subscription payments business. And in this book, I can't remember the exact words, so I paraphrase, but he basically says, we tend to meet each new challenge by creating a new department. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of leaders make when they think about customer success. But it's the department over here. And if you look at its evolution, well, in the starting stage, it was the, the department that, that handled churn. Then it became the department that helped with net revenue growth. Then it became... <laughs> and and it's a, they do do those things. But I think to think of customer success as a department is a misunderstanding. And if you go back to this idea of, of value right mm -hmm. across that, that chain, right across the whole company. That's the way I think we should think about customer success. It is a company-wide capability. And you achieve that not by creating a department. I'm not saying that's not a part of it, but you actually create that by starting to think about across this. And if you think about, you know, the pipeline, the end-to-end, -end, the, the, the complete life cycle. If you think every stage for our chosen customers, chosen customers, what are they trying to achieve at that stage in their journey, their journey? And you start to unpick, you know, what words and phrases and challenges are they meeting at these different stages? And you build your process first, your, your activity around how can I help people right across? So, you know, 
even before they've heard of you. How can I bring awareness of the of the problem that we solve to them? How can I help them understand how to how this problem impacts them? How can I help them understand that we've got something novel to add? And, and you know, so it's always going back and saying, at this stage, what's our customer thinking about, and how do we add value to them at that stage? How do we help them complete that stage and move on and move on with us? And I think if you think about that, then customer success doesn't become something that's just one department. It's about how do we, and I repeat myself, understand value to our chosen customers. How do we market that value, sell that value, productize that value, enable that value? That to me is customer success, not just just the team in the corner that, that handles churn and growth. That's a good point because when we are typically going from Series A to, to Series C or from 1 million ARR to 10 million ARR, we always talk about the importance of having a revenue machine that is repeatable um, or predictable, repeatable, profitable and, and, and scalable. And yeah. that revenue machine needs to be built by a, a, um, or formed by an acquisition engine and the retention engine, and usually the owner of or the person, the, the department accountable for the retention engine is customer success. But as you were saying, customer success is also very important, even in the acquisition engine, because after yeah. the acquisition engine, if there is not a very successful onboarding or even in the referral mechanism, right? So if the retained customers are not super happy with the product and don't keep upselling and using more of the product and don't become advocates for the product, the acquisition will be much more challenging. Yeah, and you know, a key part of a customer success capability is acquiring the right type of customers. Good point. Yeah. So you can, you can absolutely build the, you know, the world's best retention engine, but if you're not acquiring customers that can be retained because you haven't <laughs> thought about which customers can we reliably, repeatably add measurable value to, you can have the best in inverted commas customer success team, but you'll never be successful at customer success. I, I like the way you express it. Uh, could you repeat reliably, repeatably? Re re reliably, repeatably, and measurably deliver success to customers. I, and you know, I do a lot of work with, um, with, with B2B SaaS companies. I mean, deep at the moment, it's taken us, it's probably not unfair to say, something like six months to build a really meaningful, deep understanding of how our customers measure what we do. Mm -hmm. I mean, deep goes into this area of, it's a very specialist area around technical SEO, you know, about how your website performs from a technical perspective, not a content perspective. And then, you know, understanding the leading and lagging indicators, understanding the relationship between what you do on a website and business impact is actually quite a complex thing. But a lot of companies I find don't aren't willing to put the real effort into researching that, understanding that, talking to customers about that, and then building a a model of what that looks like. We call it the value framework, and it, it says, you know, for each each of the key roles that we serve, what does value look like to them? And that's I'm writing a book at the moment, and one of the working one of the working titles of the chapter is. Customer success is not about customers. It's about people, Mike. You know, so what you want out of a product and what people in your organization want out of a product, what a CMO wants out of it and what a head of digital marketing and a technical SEO wants out of a product 
completely different things. Mm-hmm. And until we start to focus on understanding who are the key roles that we serve and figuring out what value means to them in a measurable, repeatable, reliable way, I don't think we'll get the best out of our um, acquisition retention engine. And that specific approach might be even more relevant in an enterprise customer, right? Where we have different decision makers uh, to go through. I think I think the the larger the organization that you're serving, the more difficult that becomes. Yes, but even in relatively small organizations, you know, even I mean, if I look at back to my days at Flick Tools, you know, we grew it to be 50, 60 people. They were typically always three or four people involved in the key buying decision for a piece of software. And there'd probably be anything from 10 to 50 or 60 people involved in using it. Right. So, yes, it is more complex as you get bigger. But I, I think this, the same applies even in smaller organizations. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, any, any best practices about the... How to lead teams in order to be uh, focused on delivering value to to customers, leading customer success teams. Um, I think I think the thing that um, that I learned is a chief executive. You have another title. You have another role, and well, role is part, a key part of your role. It's not another role. It's a key part of your role, and that is a chief organization designer. So I think the job of a CEO is to really understand what organization design is about. And it's not about lines and boxes. It's not about roles and responsibilities only. It's very much around um, how the organization works. So, for example, if you, if you say to somebody, tell me about your organization, they'll typically show you an organization chart. And my favorite comment, on, if someone does that, is say, show me where collaboration is on that organization chart. <laughs> Because it never appears, Mike. It's it's never drawn yet. Good question. I think you know if you if you if you start to delve into how I understand customer success, you can only achieve that through collaboration across what quite often disparate separate teams. So your role as a as a CEO, I think, is very much around helping the organisation generate these. It's probably four fundamental frameworks. So one is ideal customer profile mm-hmm. and that's not just the that's not just the companies that we serve it's the individuals within those companies that we serve it's about the key roles so a mm-hmm. lot of people do say oh you know we're, we're into we serve organizations between 50 and a thousand people in these industries uh you know in, in these geographies that's that's a very crude approach to it ideal customer profile is very much around understanding what value you bring and what the characteristics of companies that can can benefit from the value that you add. And then it's the second part is, again, the, you know, these key roles. So that's the first framework. The second is this end-to-end pipeline. How does the whole of the organization work to attract, convert, serve, and retain customers? Mm-hmm. And I think you do that by building that picture out at a very high level and then saying to people, this is how we, we want this to work. Go away and do the, the, the detail. So, for example, a great architect starts by understanding purpose of the building. 
she, she doesn't start with saying, okay, I want it to be this big and this. She's a really good architect. She, the first thing she does is go and figure out who the building is serving. In other words, right. and, and you know what flows do we want through this building? Exactly. And then she doesn't, she'll sketch out some high level design parameters. She doesn't design the electrical system. Mm-hmm. She doesn't design the heating system. So I think, you know, as a chief exec, your responsibility is to be that, that architect of the organization. And to me, that's around, it's around vision, it's around values, but it's also around how this, this end-to-end pipeline works. And then you let the experts, you know, the marketing experts, the sales experts, the CS experts, the product experts, fill in the detail. The only requirement is they have to be able to justify how it fits into that architecture, not, you know, not just a great marketing engine, I don't want a great marketing engine. I want a great marketing engine that's joined up with sales and everything else. Exactly. And that's that's the role of the CEO. So that's the second one. The third mm-hmm. is this, what I call the value framework, which is this, you know, what does a really deep understanding of value mean to the different people we serve at different stages? And that's hard work to figure that out. And the fourth framework are metrics. How mm-hmm. do we design metrics that actually foster collaboration rather than disparate. Right. So, you know, we, we focus a lot on metrics. Um, one of the things we did at Click Tools as, as part of an exercise where we, we did this end-to-end pipeline piece was we put everybody in the company on the same bonus plan. Mm-hmm. And that was re- revenue growth time cus- times customer satisfaction. Mm-hmm. If I was to do it again, I'd probably choose either NRR or if my organization was mature enough, uh, customer lifetime value to CAC ratio, because that's got a nice productivity element to it as well. Mm-hmm. And it's then I'd spend, a lot of, I'd spend a lot of time explaining to the organization, you know, how we try to build something that's joined up and why these mm-hmm. metrics matter. You know, to me, an ideal organization is one where handoffs are invisible mm-hmm. to the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of what we do in organizations around this thing called alignment is, is just cover up patches. There's so many conversations on forums and, and podcasts and things like that about how do I get, how do I align sales and marketing or how do I align marketing right. and customer success? Well, alignment to me is something you retrofit when you've not done a good job in the first place. And yeah. you do a good job in the first place by purposeful organization design. So they're the four frameworks, ideal customer profile, end-to-end pipeline, value framework, metrics. That's that's very, very uh, interesting stuff to reflect and to have those four frameworks to to bring more cross-functional collaboration by having a better architecture in place, so. Yeah, I love quotes and one of my favorite is that every organization is perfectly designed to achieve the results it does. <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> it's a truism, isn't it, Mike? You know, and the reason that we don't get the results we want is because we've not thought about enough about how we've designed the organization to get those. We've left it to each individual, and they're called stovepipes or silos for a reason. Mm-hmm. We leave it to the individuals that head those up. You know, and the, and we kind of bring there the kind of the fourth ingredient, which is really it's, that is execution operating system, which is bringing clear OKRs 
that are really cross-functional that cascade uh, through the company in an effective way. And also having those rituals or those rhythms in place that help everyone to be on the same page. Um, so the weeklies, the monthlies, the quarterlies, etc. So what's your take on, on having really good communication to assure that everyone is on the same page and that we, we keep an execution pace as strong as possible? Um, I think that's key. I've used OKRs, still use them. They're a, a good vehicle. They're not the only one. Excuse me. Um, I think the key, Mike, is um, if you... You talk, you, the phrase you used in there was to keep everyone on the same page. Yeah. There's an assumption in that that someone has designed or presented that page. <laughs> so the starting point is what does that page look like? So I'm, I'm a great believer in the power of vision and values. So to me, I always present it as a picture, you know, what, and it's a vision. So it's, it's got a purpose that says, this is why we exist. It's got a, a clear view as to what are the key capabilities that we're trying to build. It's got a, a goal, you know, a big, hairy, audacious goal. Um, and I think if you, as a leadership team, think through what that picture looks like, and you're able to relate into that, the other, you know, those four frameworks that I talked about, then I think what you do as a leader is you present that and you explain to people constantly, not just what that is, but why it's there, why the different components are there, why they're all, why every element of that is important. Um, and then, you know, you overlay your metrics on that, you overlay your actions on that. So that one picture, that one page, becomes the basis of your communication. So at ClickTools, we had a, we had a picture, I nicked the structure of it from, from Disney um, I remember seeing a, uh, a guy from uh, Disneyland Paris present around organization design. I thought, I just love the way that he presented that. I couldn't use the Disney characters because they're copyright, but, you know, the, the structure of the, and the ideas behind it, I took. Um, and we just used to overlay. Every quarter, we'd do a, you know, a, a whole company update. And we'd just present the same picture and say, this is what we said we were working on. This is what we've done well. This is what we've missed. This is where the metrics are. Um, and this is what we're thinking about doing next quarter. And it's it's just this constant reinforcement of the, that one page. It's a form of communication that I often use. It's called Chinese water torture. So you just keep telling them the same thing <laughs> over and over and over again. And eventually, it just... <laughs> you know, constancy of communication, constancy of purpose... I think it's an important capability oh, yeah. that a leader's got to think about. What you can't be doing is saying one thing and then doing, seem to be doing something else. There's a great Absolutely. exercise, and you know, just if, if you just grab a piece of paper, Mike, I'm going to spell a word out to you. And you, you know, people listening to this, please do this. So get a piece of paper, a pencil, write this word out. I'm going to spell it C O M M U N. I-A-C-P-I-O-N. Now tell me what that word says. Wow. Community action. 
Community action. The, no, I, I, no, I missed the, the P for, for the T. Okay. Community action. Community it's, action. So all, all I've done is, is if you take the word communication and you, you um, swap the C exactly. and the A. Exactly. Exactly. And the most powerful form of communication you've got as a CEO, as any, any sort of leader, is what you do. I think it was an American philosopher, Henry David Thoreau, said something along the lines of, I cannot hear the words for the action that thunders above your head. Yeah. And, you know, if you present this picture, this one page, everything you do, you've got to be able to explain in the context of that one page. Absolutely. Otherwise, people say, you know, hang on a minute, you're saying this, but you're telling us to do something different. Mm -hmm. that, that's called schizophrenia. Absolutely. Great, great example. Uh, leading from the front or leading by example. It's really, uh, really, really important in, in bringing yeah. that execution operating system. But it's, it's leading with vision, Mike. It's, it's not, you know, it's, we all talk about everyone being on the one page. You can only do that if someone, if you collectively define what that one page is. Exactly. Awesome, and we we came to we come to the last question of the show, and one of my favorites, which is if you would have the opportunity to meet Dave uh, in the beginning of of your journey with your own uh, venture packet company, what yeah. advice would you offer to your younger self? Get funding. The big mistake we made at Click Tools, and what cost us a huge amount of growth, was. I don't know, it's a reluctance or a lack of recognition that we didn't fund big enough early enough, which meant that uh, you know, we, we were just, we, were out, <laughs> we lost the competition because of funding, I think. We had a better product, I think we had a, better, a, a really strong value proposition, but we couldn't put the resources that some of our competitors did behind it because I didn't go out and get enough funding. Thank you very much for being so honest with your younger self, with all the ones who are uh, listening to us. Uh, David, it was, it was really a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for making the time. Thanks for the opportunity, Mike. I really appreciate it. And to our community, we keep bringing you the best of the best to help your life easier, uh, scaling up your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. So see you soon and keep scaling. 